this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. ask you to uh, open your Bibles this morning uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And so we are in the midst of a three-week series that started last week. So this is the middle message of that uh, series. But the series is called Reset. And uh, uh, after next week, we're going to get back to our study of the Gospel of Mark. We were just kind of walking through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to do that after next week. But I thought it would be really important to take three weeks in January when we're kind of hitting the reset button in our lives and, and talk about some things that are super important in the Christian life. They're very basic in the Christian life, but a lot of times spiritual success and growth doesn't necessarily come from doing extraordinary things, but from doing the ordinary things consistently. And so last week, we talked about cherishing the Lord's Day. We talked about just the importance of, of meeting together on the Lord's Day to encourage one another and to show our love for Him and our love for one another and the implications that that has for our growth in Christ. Today, we're going to talk about stewarding the Lord's resources, and next Sunday, we're going to talk about sharing the Lord's gospel. Now, again, these things are basic. You know, uh, Dean Smith, who used to coach uh, the University of North Carolina in basketball for many, many years, before every practice, they, he would put a note card in the guys' lockers, and on the note card would be sort of a thought for the day, and it would, it would, inevitably it would be something like catch the ball with two hands every time. Because he knew that if they would just do the basic things, the ordinary things, with extraordinary consistency, that that's where success was going to, to come from. And these are three things. When we think about the Lord's Day, our, our church involvement, when we think about giving, when we think about witnessing, which we're going to talk about next week, we know these things are things we need to be doing. I mean, deep down, we know, right? We, we, we know we, we need to be consistently in church. We know that we need to be giving. We know that we need to be witnessing. We know these things. They're basic, but they're things that we can sometimes talk about more than what we actually do. And by being committed to consistently doing these things, listen, that just, that's, that's the path to growth in the Christian life. So today, we're talking about stewarding the Lord's resources. To do that, we're going to look at one of the great texts in the New Testament on that topic. at 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 15, if you'll follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. Paul says, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. 
Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you were not ready, we would be humiliated. This has to say, to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you to arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The story is told about the great preacher John Wesley that one day, one day uh, someone came up running up to him in an absolute panic. And they said to him, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned to the ground. And Wesley took that in, weighed it, and then calmly replied, No, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That's one less thing for me to be concerned with. And Wesley was not being flippant or cute when he said that. It's just that he was so deeply locked in to the biblical truth that we're going to talk about today. And that is that God is the owner of everything. And we are his managers, his stewards. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2 that as stewards, we are to be found Faithful. The Bible says it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. We don't want to be like the stewards that Jesus talked about in the parable in Matthew 25, where the master gave them money to put to use and invest while he was away. And when he came back, one of them had buried it in the ground and incur judgment because of that. We want to be like the, the stewards who took the master's money and, and invested it and put it to work. And when he came home, what did he say? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so we want to be faithful stewards 
first of all, faithful stewards of the time that God has given us to manage. We get one brief life to make a difference. James tells us that it's like a vapor. It quickly passes away. And so if we waste the time that God has given to us, it's not ultimately our time we're wasting. It's, it's His time. And we're called to use the time that He's given us for His glory. We're to be faithful stewards of the talents that God has given us to manage. And by talents, I'm, I'm talking about spiritual gifts. I'm talking about abilities that God has given us, experiences, skills that God has given to us, things that we do well. Well, God has given us those things not to just kind of boost our own glory, but to leverage for His glory. And then third, we're to be faithful stewards of the treasure that God has given to us. In his excellent little book, The Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn tells about a couple, the, the, the Cavens, and this was a couple that kind of moved from giving uh, inconsistently, sporadically, to giving very systematically, very substantially. And he asked them, he said, what was, what was the shift? What happened? And they said it was this. Jerry, Jerry Caven uh, said this. He said it was realizing God's ownership. Once we understood that we were giving away God's money to do God's work, we discovered a peace and joy we never had back when we thought it was our money. He's the owner. We're the stewards. What's the heart of a faithful steward look like? Let's talk about that. First of all, the heart of a faithful steward is a ministering heart. Verse 1. Paul says, Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. He's talking here about this offering. The church at Corinth was collecting an offering for the church at Jerusalem. But he calls this offering a ministry. He does the same thing in verse 12. He talks about the ministry of the service. He's talking about this offering. Now it's funny, sometimes in, in the Christian community we get a little bit careless with our language and we start using language in ways that aren't, isn't quite biblical. Sometimes we can talk about, when we think about our, the worship service, sometimes we can think about, you know, we can talk, think about the singing part of the service as worship. And then, then you have the preaching or the offering. But it's all worship, right? It's all worship. The, the singing, the praying, the opening up our Bibles and digging into the Word and the offering. Okay, all of that is worship. And sometimes when we think about ministry, sometimes we think about ministry as just the face-to-face, hands-on ministry. And we don't think about giving as ministry. But see, when you give to enable other people to minister, that is ministry. Paul calls it that here. And so we should not cheapen that. We should not devalue giving by not thinking of that as ministry, as somehow separate from ministry. No. We can't, none of us by ourselves can do all the ministry. And so when we give to enable others to minister, 
whether it's in our church or around the world, that is ministry. Make no mistake. And we need to understand that. We need to, we need to give with that spirit that as we give, that, that that is a form of ministry itself. And so, you know, when we give, just the normal giving to the budget of our church, okay, that's enabling all kinds, the whole myriad of ministries that takes place at our church to take place. It's enabling ministry in our community, things like the Coalition Against Poverty and Suffolk, uh, CAPS. It's enabling things like our Crisis Pregnancy Center, which we talked about earlier. Okay, so community ministries, it's enabling when you give just normally to the budget of our church. It's enabling ministry beyond our local community to our state through the Southern Baptist Convention of Virginia as new churches, for instance, are being planted in areas of Virginia that are especially in in need of the gospel. It's enabling as you give for the North American Mission Board to plant churches in, in cities in our nation that desperately need the gospel. Places like New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles, okay? There are major, major church planning efforts that you are a part of through your giving that are taking place in North America and, of course, to the uttermost parts of the earth. As you give each and every week, a good part of that goes to reaching the last, the least, and the lost in unreached people groups across the world. People that have little or no access to the gospel. You're touching them. You're ministering to them by your giving. Even if you never get to lay eyes on them until you get to heaven, you're ministering to them. And so when you see things on TV, like you see things that are happening, for instance, now in the Middle East, these ter- the terrible suffering of refugees in the Middle East. And I'm, I'm kind of wired into this because as an IMB trustee, this is sort of my, these people groups are part of my, the area that my particular committee deals with. But some of the most exciting things that are happening are coming out of the, the ministry that is taking place in the midst of these suffering people in refugee camps and, and, and so forth. You're a part of that. Don't look at the news and think you're not a part of that. You are a part of that. Through your giving, you're ministering to people in great need, and not only ministering in the sense of, of alleviating physical need, but you're enabling people to get the water of life and the bread of life through the gospel, through your giving. Okay, so it's ministry. We need to understand it's ministry and be dialed into that. So a ministering heart. Second, a cheerful heart. Verse 7. He says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, God takes a special delight in those who give with delight. With cheer, not begrudgingly, not gritting teeth, but, but cheerfully. Not as something we've got to do, but something we get to do. And he tells us about a group of Christians who were just like that. 
in the previous chapter, in chapter 8, in verses 1 and 2. Let's look at it. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now this is amazing. What are these Christians experiencing in Macedonia? He says they're experiencing a severe test of affliction. They're suffering. But yet, at the same time, they're experiencing an abundance of joy. And then he says they're experiencing extreme poverty. But at the same time, they're experiencing a wealth of generosity. How is that possible? It's because of what he says here at the beginning of verse 1. It's because of the grace of God. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. In other words, these people were so blown away by God's grace, so blown away by the, 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 the beauty and God's love and mercy in the gospel that they couldn't help but give because they understood they had been given so much. And so it overflowed in giving. And he, and he says in verses uh, 3 through 5, he says, For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In other words, Paul, Paul knew they didn't have a lot. <laughs> he knew they were suffering. And so it's not like you know, he was expecting much, but they were begging, we want to be a part of this. We want to give. They were begging us, verse 4, earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Wow. So beautiful. How beautiful is that? How do we get that free? How can we get that free? These people are free. Well, here's the deal. The tighter that we grip money and possessions, the tighter they grip us. I want to say it again. The tighter that we grip money and possessions, the tighter they grip us. So how do we begin to Loosen that chokehold. Break that chokehold. How do we move from a chokehold to cheerful giving? By giving. <laughs> we just do it. We start giving. And we discover what Jesus says in Acts 20.35 when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And as many of you know, that word blessed means happy. But here's the deal. We don't get this cheerfulness in giving by just thinking about it. We don't get cheerfulness in giving just by sort of contemplating cheerfulness in giving. We don't get cheerfulness in giving by hearing a sermon about cheerfulness in giving. We get cheerfulness in giving when we start giving. <laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
when we begin to do it, then we begin to understand the cheerfulness that's involved in it. So first of all, we obey, right? Sometimes we have to act our way into a feeling rather than feeling our way into an action. We just go ahead and do the right thing and obey. And as we do it, we, under, we get it. Taste and see. We understand. We experience happiness in that, right? Well, you've got to give first to really experience that. So a ministering heart, a cheerful heart, third, a trusting heart. A trusting heart. Listen, a faithful steward trusts in God to provide. A faithful steward trusts in God to provide. Now, look at verse 8. In the New Living, it says this, And God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Look at that in the ESV. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency... In all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Four times in one verse. The word all. In fact, really, it's five times. Because in Greek, the word every is the same word. You think God's trying to get a point through to us? What's the point? God is saying, I've got you. I've got you. Because what holds us back sometimes from giving is thinking that if we give too much, we're not going to have enough. God's saying, I've got that covered. I've got you covered in this. I've got your back. I've got it, I've got it all taken care of. And so therefore, you are free to give because I am going to provide for your needs. Just trust me. And see, this is super important to understand because this, this thing really is the thing that holds a lot of us back. Um, and so we, because here's, we tend to think that um, we're going to have more by not giving or by giving very little. We think we're going to have more. That's the lie. That's a fallacy. And he's going to blow apart that fallacy by use of an illustration. It's an illustration from the, word, the world of, of farming. And he says in verse 6, he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I like the way the New Living puts this uh, verse. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. The only difference is that sometimes a human farmer can have a bad year, can be bad weather or whatever. God doesn't have that problem. He says you don't have to worry about, about sowing generously. I'm always going to come through. Always. Um. God just supernaturally blesses generosity. And look, we see this throughout the Bible. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great 
You won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Again, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. And then Jesus says in Luke 6:38, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, those are just a few texts. I mean, we could go on and on talking about this, but listen. God does not bless us, and this is where sort of uh, some of the health and wealth teachers on TV with the bad hairdos get it wrong, okay? Um, God doesn't bless our giving so that we can hoard more and get even more sucked into the materialism of our culture. God blesses our giving so that we can be a blessing, okay? So that we can give more. Verses 10 and 11 Paul says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. But see, here's the deal. Just like we don't experience happiness in giving by just sort of contemplating happiness and giving or hearing a sermon on happiness and giving, we don't experience God's blessing on generous giving by just thinking about it or even hearing a sermon about it. We experience it by doing it. You don't get to experience the blessing unless you do it. You don't get to see God come through for you and provide for you until you step out in faith and give. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. You've got to do it. And it's then, when we step out in faith, that we begin to see God coming through and supplying and meeting our needs. Where do we begin? Where do we begin? This may be old for some of you. It may be new for some of you. Some of you maybe have done this for years. Maybe some of you have not yet done this. But listen, this is an area where we, it really helps to have a game plan. It, it just does. It, it, it helps, it, it's kind of like reading the Bible. I mean, it, it helps us if we've got a track to run on, okay, and some structure. And this is an area that really helps us if we've got, if we've got that. We need a structure. We need kind of a, a game plan for giving. And I believe that the practice of tithing, giving the tenth, is, is a great gateway to giving. Now, this is biblical. We saw it in Malachi 3. In fact, it was something that in the Old Testament was required of the, the poorest Israelite. Okay? Um, people who did not have the standard of living that we have certainly in 21st century American culture. 
but it was required even of the poorest Israelites. So it's, it's there in the Bible. I think it was the practice of the early church. We know, for instance, that church fathers like Augustine and Jerome certainly taught this. And so probably a practice of the early believers. And, and listen, really without exception, every, every mature Christian that I've talked with about this issue tells me that, that tithing, the practice of tithing, and they now give far beyond a tithe, but, but tithing was, was just a, 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 great, a great gateway into giving for, this, for them because it gave them a structure, gave them a discipline, it enabled them to move from being sort of sporadic in their giving to being systematic in their giving, which is incredibly helpful um, for the, the body of Christ, uh, for the cause of Christ. And so um, tithing is it's not something we should view as a ceiling of our giving, but it's a great place to build from. It's a great floor to, 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 to build from. And what it does is it enables you to begin to experience the faithfulness of God. So what are you doing? You're blessing other people, but at the same time, you begin to grow so much in your own faith as you see God come through. So it's just a win-win all the way around. And so my recommendation is to begin tithing. If you don't tithe, set it aside. In fact, now, if you want to, you can set it up through... uh, e-giving, you know, through our website and you just get it set up and it automatically comes out. You don't even have to worry about it. But however you do it, whether you write a check or whatever, let me tell you, you really don't have to worry about it. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it because you got a faithful God who's going to come through. Try Him. Test Him. He's faithful. Trust Him. A trusting heart. Fourth, a grateful Verse 15, Paul says, Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Giving flows from the gospel. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Paul talks about in Galatians 2, the the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The gospel is about the fact that God gave for us. And so when we give, that is a very, very gospel action. That's a giving is, goes to the heart of the gospel because the gospel is all about what God has given for us. And so as we learn how to give, we're, we're learning there how to live out. We're living out the the. The, the good news of the of the gospel um, as we as we give and, and, and Paul says he says her thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift it's so good he's saying here I'm struggling for words to describe it it's inexpressible it's so incredibly good God's been so good to us in giving us Jesus and so Our giving flows from that, right? Paul says of the Macedonians, you gave yourself first to the Lord and then to us. It flows from that relationship with the Lord. 
it flows from minds and hearts that are in love with the gospel, you know, in love with, with the fact, loving, loving God because we have been so loved ourselves, giving because we're blown away by the inexpressible gift that we've been given in the gospel. Near Independence, Texas, a place called Little Rocky Creek, there's a, a marker that the Texas Historical Commission put up <clears throat> And this creek was the creek where the Texas statesman Sam Houston was baptized. He was 61 years old when he was baptized. And he had lived, you know, kind of, kind of a pagan life, but Jesus just transformed his life. And he, 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 was, he, he loved Christ and he wanted just to, he expressed that, um, one of the ways he expressed it was through his giving, he was very generous in his giving. One time somebody asked him about it, and Sam Houston, sort of in his rugged, homespun way, said, well, my wallet, when I got baptized, my wallet got baptized too. And that's a homespun way of speaking of the Lordship of Christ. Now, I woke up this morning and this thought just came to my mind. It not even related to this uh, sermon, but it, it does relate. Um, but this wasn't planned. But I, I just woke up. I think it's because I read Psalm 16 yesterday in my devotions. But I woke up this morning, and, and just this thought immediately just came into my mind. And it was Psalm 16:2, where David says, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Well, if God is our Lord, it means He's Lord of every area. If you're a student, it means He's Lord of your school life. Right? I've got some in my house with exams tomorrow. Alright, it means you work hard. He's Lord of your school life. He's Lord of your social life. He's Lord of your friendships and your relationships. He's Lord of your work life, your job life, your vocation. If you're married, He's Lord of your marriage. He's Lord of your family life. He's to be Lord of our thought life. That means we don't let negativity and smut uh, in our minds He's, because Jesus has to be Lord of our thought life. He's Lord of our sex life. He is Lord of our financial life. That's what it means. You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. You let Christ reign as King in every area of your life, including this one and you will experience His faithfulness and His goodness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the Gospel. We thank You for what Jesus has done for us. We thank You for what we have been given in the Gospel. And so, Lord, help us to live lives that reflexively give because of what we have been given through Your Son. And we pray it in His name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you uh, just about more about a relationship with Him, we would love to come alongside, talk with you, pray with you. Um, if God's working in your life, 
You say, I want to be a part of what God's doing here at First Baptist. Again, we'd love to receive you and just talk with you more about that. God's just speaking to you today just about your own life and just your relationship with Him and you want to pray with somebody or come and pray um, at this altar, uh, it's certainly open for you to do. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.